0: morning as we turn back to Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn to Romans chapter 1. We will continue where we left off last week, beginning in verse 5. And as you turn there, I'm going to ask you a question. How are you walking through life? Walking takes two legs, doesn't it? I'm sure Jack Kutcher would like to have his back. Walking takes two legs. How are you walking through life? Because you see, in my experience... Too many Christians walk like this through life. They walk as one-legged Christians. Now, I don't know about you, this is not an easy way to walk, is it? And yet, so many of us as believers, we walk as one-legged Christians. You see, we affirm and we believe and we write it everywhere, we put up signs in our house and on our cars we believe that jesus died for our sins amen we believe he died on the cross for our sins and if we believe in him we have forgiveness of sin that's one leg and most christians that i talk to believe that but the gospel is a two-legged or i should say stands on two legs It's not just that Jesus died for our sins. It is also that he rose from the dead and now reigns from heaven. You should say amen to that too. Amen. That's what Paul has just said here. As we left last week, uh, verse 4, he said that he, he, uh, he um, he died for our sins and he rose from the resurrection of the dead by the spirit of holiness. And he now reigns Jesus Christ our Lord. The word Lord, I know we use it all the time, and it's, it's a problem that we do because we forget what it means. The word Lord means you reign. You have a kingdom. You have subjects. You have, you have power. He even says he, reigned, uh, he was raised with power by the spirit of holiness. Jesus is now Lord. So many of us as believers, we walk around as one legged Christians because we believe that Jesus died for our sins. But the other leg that the gospel stands on is that he was raised from the dead and he he now reigns at the right hand of his father. This is what we even say uh, in the the, the, uh, Nicene Creed, right? He descended into hell and he was raised again on the third day and He ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the father. We confess this as believers and yet... So many of us do not live as if Jesus reigns. And so we walk through life like this, like one legged Christians. Because what we're going to see here in these few verses, they're not deeply theological. On their own, these verses are pretty, pretty straightforward. In fact, they're kind of some of the nice verses in Romans. They're very practical. They're just Paul talking about uh, what God has done in Rome. But if you dive deep to what he's saying and you think about the reality of what he is saying, it is all about the lordship of Jesus Christ and how that directs Paul's view of the cosmos, of the world, of his life, of everything. So please read along with me verse 5 of Romans chapter 1. Through whom, this is Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now please pray with me before we dive in. Dear Lord, dear Lord, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So these words are, as I said, on the surface, quite straightforward. But if you think about what Paul is saying here, it reveals a view of the world and a view of human history that I find all too absent in my own life and in the life of other believers. The main point that I want you to see here is that what Paul is saying in these verses Is that these people just like you just like me in Rome are believers in Jesus Christ because of what God has done they were just walking through life just like me and you we we think most of these people were probably Gentiles meaning they weren't Jewish they were not raised in any kind of knowledge of Yahweh at all they were not even monotheistic they believed in many gods Rome was filled with all kinds of temples, not just to gods like the ones you learned about in Greek and Roman, uh, Roman mythology, but to the emperor that I talked about last week. Everywhere you turned, you were called to praise and worship the emperor. These people had never heard of Yahweh. We can almost certainly guarantee that most of them had never even heard the name Yahweh before. Most of them had probably never even interacted with Jews. If so, it would have been very, very casual. How can it possibly be that they are now followers of Yahweh, that they are now believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. What has possibly happened in their life to make that happen? Paul says right here, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That language of calling, is Paul is saying, these people were living life just like you and me, and God spoke to them. I don't mean prophetically like a prophet. I mean through the Holy Spirit, God began calling them and then began to feel an internal desire when they heard the gospel to believe in Jesus Christ. Now we'll talk more about calling when we get to Romans chapter 10, but in general, God's call is both the external call of the gospel that goes out everywhere. Jesus himself and, and Paul and elsewhere, they're quite clear that the gospel is God calling people to faith in Jesus Christ. That's why here he used the language of obedience of faith, which we'll talk about in a minute. The gospel is going out, calling people to faith in Jesus. And yet, Paul says here, why do these people believe? Because God was working internally in their hearts and minds, calling them out of sin and death and darkness and bringing them into faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, the, effective, the, the effectual conversion of these believers happened because Jesus reigns. That's what Paul is saying here. These people in Rome believe in Jesus because Jesus reigns. Their faith is the fruit, is the, fruit the expression of Jesus' work, Jesus' lordship. We have to see how Paul understands what is going on in history because it has massive implications as we see for his own life. The second leg of the gospel that the gospel stands on is that Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he now reigns over his kingdom. And Paul says because of that, That is why every human being who has ever come to faith in Jesus Christ has done so because Jesus reigns. Every human being who has come to faith in Jesus Christ has done so because he reigns. So Paul says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Backing up. This this whole text is about what God is doing. We see that here with the language of receiving. I don't know about you, but when I receive something, am I I actively doing anything to to earn it? No. Paul did not appoint himself to be an apostle. He did not wake up one day and say, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to make a lot of money, or I'm going to be really important, or whatever he might have thought. He received it. From whom? He says, Through whom? Through Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus appointed Paul to the task of being an apostle. So we see here, everywhere in these verses, that God is at work. God is at work internally calling people out of slavery to sin and darkness and into faith in Jesus Christ. And God is at work through Jesus to appoint people to go out and share the gospel. God is at work. He says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. This this is a very unusual phrase, and even Paul himself, I'm not sure if he uses it anywhere else. The obedience of faith. I personally love this phrase. Because again, it's pointing back to Jesus Christ as Lord. If someone is being obedient, that means that there's an authority over them, correct? Correct. You you can't be obedient to something if there's no authority there to obey. We all have authorities we have to obey. Our our bosses. When when Paul here talks about the obedience of faith, he is again pointing to the fact that, that what God is doing in the world is calling people to believe in Jesus. And that when they respond to that call, they are being obedient to the call. Now, when I was a kid, I don't know about you, I wasn't always obedient to my parents' calls. I'm chuckle at that. We all have those moments, right? Parents say, come on, time to come home or come to, the t- come to the dinner table. And yeah, yeah, whatever. And, you know, we don't do it. When Paul here talks about the obedience of faith, he's saying God has called and your response in faith is your obedience to that call. But what I want you to see is this language here points to Jesus Christ as Lord. That when we believe in him, it is an obedient response to the gospel. And this phrase, obedience of faith, is not, it's not here talking about the obedience that comes out of faith. This is not Paul saying uh, that, uh, that, that, that out of faith they walk in obedience. That is something he will say later on. But here he's saying faith itself is obedience. The act of believing in Jesus is the first obedient thing you will do to your master. Believing in Jesus, Paul is saying here, this this faith is the first act of obedience you and I will make to our king, to our Lord. All throughout these verses, Paul is over and over pointing back to Jesus Christ who reigns as Lord he's received the call to be an apostle his calling is to go and spread the gospel and that others might believe in obedience to the master to the Lord and then he says all this is happening for the sake of his name you cannot escape Jesus Christ as Lord in these verses He reigns at the right hand. He's called Paul to preach the gospel. He is saving people out of sin and death. And they're responding in obedience of faith. And why is all this happening? For his name. Jesus Jesus is in the business right now of exalting his name. I should say God himself, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. You want to know what they're doing today? They're glorifying the name of Jesus. That's what they're doing right now. You ever want to know what God is up to? He is, he is right now actively working to glorify the name of Jesus. Every person that comes to faith, every fruit of the kingdom is all for the sake of his name. And among, and who, who is this including? He says, among all the nations. We cannot appreciate how big of a statement this is because we live in America and it's a great place to live. And we, 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 we are so blessed even as I look up in this church. Most of us come from, if we were to trace our ancestry, from all over the place. And here we are so we can readily see how God has been at work calling people from among all the nations. But when Paul wrote this, for, for generations, for thousands of years, God had been primarily working among a particular nation the nation of the Jews, the Israelites. Yet Paul is saying now that God is actively at work, Jesus is actively at work calling people to faith among all the nations. And I submit to you that this, was, this, this statement here is exactly what was, was Paul's burden, and, his, and he'll say later on, his obligation to preach the gospel to Greeks and to Jews, to, to the wise and to the foolish because God himself is at work calling people from among all the nations. As he says in Ephesians 2 and elsewhere, the gospel is the one thing and the only thing in the world that actually cuts through ethnic divisions, that cuts through racism, that cuts through tribal chief disagreements. That If you go to a place today like Pakistan or Afghanistan, Those tribes have been there for thousands of years. Nothing is gonna bring them together except the gospel of Jesus Christ. You go all over the world and what you will find everywhere is divisions that have lasted for hundreds and thousands of years. The gospel alone brings people together because Jesus the Lord is calling people from among all the nations. And then he says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. It's amazing how Paul balances these two things. On the one hand, you have this massive, global scale picture of what God is doing in the world. And then he says, including you. You, average person, you normal, everyday person going about your, your life, you widow, you orphan, you servant. You noble, you soldier, you, po- you politician, all these everyday people, just like you and me, they've been scooped up into God's activity, and they've been saved. Because you see, I think uh, Paul, being so guided by the Spirit and so wise, he could have just said, God is doing all these great things among the nations, and you go, well, that's really great. But you don't feel very connected to that. I, do you, I, I, know, I don't know about you, but I don't feel connected to that every day. I wish I did. You know, God is doing amazing things today. And it's really easy for me to just worry about, you know, my hairline. Or, you know, whatever what else is going on in my everyday life. And Paul says that's okay. As long as you know that there is this big picture thing going on, and you see that you are a part of it in your life. You are a part You have been called because of what God is doing among all the nations. You need to know, if you don't know this, that you believe in Jesus Christ because of what God is doing to call a people from among all the nations. But again, we see the same language of Jesus as Lord at work. He doesn't say here, you who independently of your own freedom and of your own brilliance and of your own genius and of your own goodness and of your own righteousness decided one day that, hey, you know what, because I'm so good and because I'm so righteous and because I'm so smart and because I'm so clever, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to believe in him. No, he says, you have been called. You were called. You and I would walk headlong into death if God did not reach in and call us out. You and I would walk headlong into death if Jesus himself did not call us out. These verses are describing the salvation of people all over the world and attributing it solely to the work of the triune God. Solely his work. He says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Let me just pause that there again that Paul could say these words about people in Rome. It's hard for us to appreciate the massive change that has gone on in Paul's life and in history in light of what Jesus has done. Romans are beloved of God? I guarantee you the Jews before Jesus did not think the Romans were beloved by God. They prayed prayers like Jesus points out in the, in the, the, the parable of the tax collector and the pharisee dear god i thank you that i'm not like that man jews regularly pray things like dear god thank you that we're not like the gentiles they looked down on them in general they scorned them they thought they were all together objects of god's wrath so when paul can say to all those in rome loved by god that is an incredible testimony to not only what God has done in his life, in changing his mind, and changing his heart, but also what God is doing in the world that he is calling people in Rome, that he has set his love upon them. And again, we see again the language of calling, called to be saints. This word saint here, I know because of Roman Catholic theology and other things, it tends to take on, you know, we think, you know, there's everyday people and then there's the saints. But in normal Greek, it just means that those who are set apart as holy. Saint, the word, it's, it's where we the word sanctification. It, it simply means those who have been set apart as holy. That's what it means. They've been set apart as holy unto God. And so saints was a common way of referring to other believers. You called them, you were fellow saints together. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here that the foundation of everything Paul does in his life is the view, not only that Jesus has died for the sins of God's people, but he has risen from the dead, and that he now reigns from heaven, and that he is directing his kingdom. And what we'll see in Romans chapter 8, and if you want to know, the primary effect the primary work of God's kingdom, you can write it down, tattoo it on your forehead, or whatever you want to do, is what Paul is saying in Romans 8. It's the calling, the justification, the sanctification, and the glorification of believers. Romans chapter 8. The primary work of Jesus in directing, his, in directing the Holy Spirit and directing the kingdom is the calling, justification, sanctification and glorification of believers of you and me Now i've said well i don't know what those words mean we're well, gonna have to hang on to the romans 8 then you'll find out but that is a primary work of the kingdom i say that because we need to remember what is the work of the kingdom and what isn't the work of the kingdom all too often christians get in big trouble when they start thinking god's kingdom is about something that god's kingdom is not about God's kingdom is not about setting up political kingdoms. God's kingdom is about calling, justifying, sanctifying, and glorifying his people. Not about setting up a kingdom on earth. His his kingdom purpose is not about helping his people avoid hardship or pain or suffering. As Paul will say also in Romans 8, it's actually in the midst of our suffering that we can see God's glory and his, his caring hand at work in our lives. There are so many things we we, we want to subscribe to God's kingdom, but what you and I need to remember is that the primary work of the kingdom is calling, justifying, sanctifying, and glorifying believers. It is salvation. God's kingdom is about salvation. See, all too often, we turn into people like Peter who want to pick up the sword, who think, Jesus rules... Jesus is king. Well, kings, they want an army to fight. And they, want a, and they, want, they have power to rule. But Jesus' lordship is not about, is not about establishing an earthly power, rule, or dominion yet. Yet. It will be about that. It is about calling people all over the world to believe in him. Saving people, that is the primary work of the kingdom. So here's some applications for you and for me. For one, I talked about walking as a one-legged Christian. Jesus as Lord, Jesus as King, ought to define your life as a believer. Those two points. Jesus died for my sins on the cross that I could be forgiven and have eternal life. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead, was ascended into heaven, and now sits at the right hand of the Father and reigns. Those two, these are not just ideas, these are historical realities, have to define your life. If the second one hasn't defined it, if you haven't let that shape your life, then you're walking as a one-legged Christian. And, and you know what? You can't go very far one-legged. You, you, got, you, you cannot, in life, you will not walk very far as a Christian if you're only walking on one leg. If you're only walking on the leg that Jesus died for your sins, but you're not also letting his rule over the world and over history and the calling of sinners to salvation if that is not defining your life then you are walking and i am walking as a one-legged christian it defined paul's life the thing that sustained paul in all of his ministry was not his own talents his own plan his own money or gifts or abilities It was a belief that God was calling people to salvation. The reason Paul goes to Philippi or goes to Athens or goes to uh, Galatia the region of, of Turkey or plans to go to Rome is solely because he believes God is taking him there because God is at work doing something. Do you believe that God is at work doing something right now in the world? And in your life. And you believe that God wants you to participate in that. Now I am not saying that God wants all of us to go be missionaries. Maybe some of us do. I'm not talking about specifics in your life or my life. I'm talking about a mindset. A mindset that when you walk out your door, you positively believe God is at work. And that when, no matter what happens, you in your life, you process it through the grid that God rules, that God reigns, that God is at work. So that you don't have to like consciously think of it all the time, but it's just part of your DNA and your faith that Jesus reigns. So everything that's going on in your life, you see it through that that, that framework. It ought to be one of the defining features of your life that Jesus reigns and if it is here's a couple small applications from that first of all and this is by the way to me I'll be honest with you all I am terrible about hiding the gospel from people I am terrible about worrying if I talk about my faith about worrying if I admit to being a pastor that, that person is gonna look at me weird or never talk to me or whatever might happen and what I've realized as I say this passage this week is that I say that because I think, oh, that person, you know, they wouldn't want to hear. You know, they wouldn't, want to, they, wouldn't want, they wouldn't want me to bother them with that, right? But what I'm really saying is not about them. What I'm saying is something about Jesus. Paul believed people came to faith because Jesus reigns. So if I hide the gospel from people out of fear or whatever else, I'm not ultimately making a statement about them. I'm saying to Jesus, I don't believe you reign. When we hide the gospel from others, and I am guilty of this, we are saying to Jesus, effectively, I don't think you reign. And I don't think you're doing this, what Paul's saying that you're doing. Because if I believe that, then I should believe that God might be calling that person next to me. I could actually crazy enough believe that maybe God put me in this job, or put me in this store, or put me on this sidewalk, or put me in whatever situation it is, because God wants to use me to call that person externally to faith in Jesus Christ. So if I say, this, so if I say oh, I don't want to bother that person, or, or I don't know if they believe, or I don't know what's going on there, maybe I should step back and go, well, but God put me here. And if God put me here, then maybe he's telling me he wants me to share the gospel with this person. You may not think of yourself as a apostle, and you're not, and I'm not, but God wants you to participate in his work. And if you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if I should share the gospel with that person, ask yourself this question, well, why did God put me here then? And by the way, I'm talking to myself here. And I'm not saying that every time you go out, you need to like you know, jam it down someone's throat. But the gospel, I'm talking to myself here, should always be ready on my lips in some form or fashion. Either, even just a simple how you doing today. Even, even it's a simple cheating someone as a human being is a starting point of the gospel. Secondly, for, for parents, including myself, raising kids to be Christian, we could do all the cultural things that we think we're supposed to do. But if we do not help our kids see Jesus as Lord, we are not raising them to be Christian. If we're raising them in all the cultural stuff, all the books, all the songs, all the church, everything else, but we're not exposing them to Jesus as Lord, we're not helping them to get actively involved in what Jesus is doing in the world, then we're not giving them a picture that that when we use that word Lord, it actually means something. We need to find ways of helping our kids participate in the activity of what God is doing in the world. I believe that is one of the most important things for Christian parents. They hear from us all the time, talk about Jesus. They hear us, you know, read the Bible. But do we actively involve them in something that Jesus is doing in the world? Whether that's you know, uh, doing some of the stuff we do here at church like, like boxes or the, 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 the baby bottle thing or other things like that or whether it's, it's you know, going on mission trips when they get older or whatever it might be. We need to help our kids see Jesus as Lord by putting them in way, giving them ways that they can actively participate in what God is doing. And then lastly, I just want to say all of us myself included, want God at work in our lives. I want the Holy Spirit at work in my life. But here's the catch. God, as Paul says here, is in the business of calling people to faith in Jesus. God is at work of making Jesus' name great. So if I want to experience God in my life, guess what? I have to be actively willing on my part to participate in what God is doing in the world. In other words I can't live my life selfishly on my own doing whatever I want and then say hey God can you bless me in what I'm doing? God said, no I can't. I'm over here doing this. This is what I'm doing. I'm calling people to faith. I'm building churches. I'm saving people. I'm sanctifying people. This is what I'm doing. If you, you, know, if you want to hop in this and do this then you're going to experience enormous blessing from God. But if you want to build your own kingdom, live your own life, do your own thing, you can confess Jesus as Lord all day and you're not going to have his blessing. Because this is what God is doing. So often we, we believers, we want to stand over here and do our own life and build our own kingdom and do things our way and, and tell God how he should do things. And then we say, God, but I also want you to bless me. I, I want to feel, I feel God, I, I don't feel your presence in my life. I, I, I don't feel close to you. I don't feel your blessing or other things going on. And God says, look, Jonathan, I would love to bless you. But for that to happen, you need to be on board with what I am doing in the world. If you want God to bless you, then you and I, we need to say to God, I want to actively participate in what you're doing. Which again is mainly a mindset. It's mainly a disposition. That you see God at work in the world and you say to God, I want to be a part of it use me however you want. That could be starting a business and employing people and creating a Christian culture in that business that people love to work there. And you're and you're helping them support their families. You can serve God that way. It could be you you work in the oil and gas industry and you're all over the world and you get to tell people about your faith, you can tell people about Jesus. You get to be an honorable person of integrity. Do you know how rare that is in the world? But what you and I need to know is that God is at work and he wants us to participate in that. Let me pray for us. Dear God, faith is more than just an assent to words on a page. It is the active disposition that you, the triune God, are real and that you are at work in the world. And as Paul tells us here, in this age that we live in, God, your main work is the calling, justifying, sanctifying, and glorifying of believers. I pray for myself and I pray for all of us that when we come to the end of our days, we can look back at our little lives and, and see your hand all through it doing this work. And we can give thanks to you for your son, Jesus, that not only did he die for our sins, but that we have seen his active rule carried out in our lives and through us to bless others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.